like a moth to a flame burned by the fire. We're here to present another episode of Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. If you couldn't tell from the intro, this week we will be discussing Janet Jackson's fifth studio album, her self-titled Janet period album, her first album with Virgin Records, so the start of a new era for Miss Jackson, and uh, in fact, her biggest album ever. This was her highest selling album worldwide, over 14 million copies sold, a string of hits, and uh, one of the best albums of the 90s, in my opinion, which is why I picked it, so... I love Miss Janet, and uh, I think this is a a case for why she's one of the best. Yeah, so some background on the album. The Virgin Records deal was worth tens of millions of dollars. I'm not quite sure exactly how much multiple figures have been reported, but not everybody felt it should have been done. Uh, New York Times critic Stephen Holden wrote a story about how labels should instead spend money developing new acts, And he said that Janet was a producer-dependent artist, that she couldn't do it. And admittedly, she'd had a very successful collaboration on two albums with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and of course was working with them once again. And there were also people saying she was just riding Michael's coattails, which is honestly a stupid argument, because if that were the case, every Jackson would have been as successful as Janet. That's a great point, but it's a very easy argument to throw at her. Like, oh, she's just another Jackson. She's only getting it because of this. But you make a great point. Like, if that was the case, then Tito would have a $40 million contract with Virgin as well, you know? Yeah, so would LaToya. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they'd all be huge. So, no, but Janet really wanted to prove these people wrong. She wanted to say, no, I'm an artist. I'm a person. And that is why she named the album Janet, period. She didn't sell it with her last name on it, just to show, hey, I'm Janet. And she was moving away from the Jackson name. And this is a statement piece for her as a young woman, uh, as a sexual being, and as an artist. Yes, this is an album all about sex for the most part. Yeah, we went we went from one sex romp to the next. (laughs) We went from 99 to Janet, period. Yeah, that was her goal here because she wanted the show. She was growing up. She was a tw- almost 27. Actually, she just turned 27 when this album was released. She was a young woman, newly married in 1993. And she wrote songs that expressed how she felt about sexual relationships. And this was a change from what she'd done before on Control. She asserted her independence On Rhythm Nation, she tackled social issues. Here, she tackled her sexuality in a really groundbreaking way for a woman, particularly a Black one. This album has been credited for promoting sexual freedom in young women, particularly Black ones, through its songs and videos. Yeah, but at the same time, also promoting safe sexual experiences as well, which is great to see. Yes. And uh, people did buy it, as I said. This was her best-selling album. It at- debuted at number one in the U.S. and stayed on top for six weeks. In its first week, it sold 350,000 copies, which is still a huge total today. And at the time, it was a record for a female artist for first-week sales. And it kept selling, and it sold over 7 million copies in the U.S. and over 14 million worldwide. Six top 10 hits in the U.S. And Virgin made the right decision clearly by signing Janet Jackson just with the success of this album. And she continued to be a profitable act for them in the future. Yeah, Virgin was smart for signing her, but also the um, the publicity around this album is, in my opinion, one of the real reasons or one of the big reasons that, that skyrocketed. I mean, I remember this Rolling Stones cover, which ends up being, you know, a a cropped image for our album, but of her with no top on. And it's iconic. Two hands holding her breasts. Now it's iconic. Then it was risque and taboo at at the very least. Yes. And it's interesting because a few months before this, I don't like to compare pop stars, but Madonna released her erotica album in late 1992. And Janet coming out with a sexual album, she got some comparisons to Madonna because it was so close after that. And 
Janet and Madonna have actually almost always released albums in very close proximity to each other. It's interesting how that's been. But Janet took a different route. She used a very different sound than Madonna did. This is R&B hip-hop sounds being used here. Madonna went for more of a dance house sound. And in an interview... This is what Janet said. See yourself going head to head with Madonna. It's it's dance music. I'll say that, which is very similar. I think, <laughs> how do I put this? I think what I do has class to it. I'll say that. Well, I mean, it did have class compared to erotica. Yeah. You know? And as sexual as it was, it still has, in my opinion, a little bit of a not naive take, but a softer take on sexuality than than, of course, erotica. But definitely. And like I said, it was one that the public bought. This album did really well, as we saw, and definitely outsold erotica. That was Madonna's lowest selling album for a long time. So she became the hot name in the music industry through this era. She was the it girl. She was on fire. She was on fire. That she was. So uh, with that being said, I guess we're ready to start in with this album. One thing I will note, this album has a lot of interludes. So do most of her albums. I'm not going to discuss all the interludes. Most of them are pretty pointless. They're just transitions in between songs we're going to talk just about the actual songs. Well, I mean, while we're talking about it, what, what do you think the thought process is on making them actual tracks? I mean, 28 tracks if it's on your CD player. But I mean, some of these are like two seconds. They could actually be, they perfectly like are connected. It's so weird. I just, I wanted to hear what you thought about that. Like, do you think there's there's any reason for it? The only reason I can think of is because this album's a bit over the place stylistically. There are different genres and sounds throughout it. Maybe they just wanted a more clear transition in between the different sounds used here because there is a lot going on, but there definitely didn't need to be this many interludes. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And most of her albums have it for some reason. I'm glad on the last one she finally did away with them. And I okay. hope she continues that because who needs them? They're, for the most part, very pointless. The only one of note here is probably the intro morning. And I only mention it because, well, one, it starts the album off. And Drake actually sampled it in 2013. There so there's that. And we'll see quite a few callbacks here. There's a lot of samples on this album, and the songs on it have been sampled a lot. So it's pretty interesting legacy to have. I first heard this album when I was 10, and I got it out of the library, and I pretty quickly loved it. I was shocked to see all the tracks, so I was like, how does the album have 27 songs? But yeah. Of course, I found out half of them aren't songs. So the the age of ten was a year for you, man. You were I listening know. at ten. That's glorious. I know. Yeah, my mother actually apologized uh, for uh, no, allowing me to listen to 1999 when I was ten recently because <laughs> she had yeah. no idea. I, I was thinking about your folks after we finished 1999. I was like, I wonder if they're going to be like, oof, we, we should, probably should have pulled that one back. That's hilarious. She shouldn't apologize, Ma. You're good. I Ma. told her she was fine. Yeah. I'm not mad at her, so. <laughs> but, yeah, I was listening to a lot at age 10. I... <laughs> there you go. The wonders of the library. Yes. Thank God for libraries. Support your library, folks. Enough of this... Uh, Amazon taking over the book world. If you want free books, go to your library. Not you sponsored, go. but Not it's a great sponsored. it's a great resource. I use it often for this podcast. So there's that. And with that being said, I'm now ready to actually talk about the 14 actual songs on the album, not those silly interludes. So <laughs> that being said, I'm ready to start with the first official track. That's the way love goes. I actually kind of want you to start off on this one because I know you were around when this song hit big and I just want some perspective on what it was like when it was out, I guess. Uh, this, I saw it written 
but it was perfectly said. This was like a, a perfect makeout album back then. You know, <laughs> it was it was soft. And this opener is actually pretty soft. It's actually, in my opinion, laid back and casual, also sexy. Um, it's not for me, it was never. And even through these these listens, um, it's never like one that blew my mind. It's a solid one, but it's laid back. It's soft and it lets you it lets you uh ease into this album so to speak it's definitely but this is one that even if you didn't have the album apparently you must have heard it because it was a huge hit actually interestingly the label did not want this as the lead single they wanted if to be the lead single instead because they thought well we can do a dance video with that but jam and lewis said no we want to just kind of do something like Charday and just have the song announce itself and that ended up working out very well for them. And this also was a new sound for Janet. This was her first single to really have two prominent samples in it. There are two here. There's James Brown's Papa Don't Take No Mass and Impeach the President by the Honey Drippers, which is one of the most sampled songs in history. Hundreds of songs have used that sample. But the Brown one was cleared, and James Brown actually demanded to see the song's lyrics before clearing the sample. Really? Yeah, because he said rappers had put filth over his beats before, and he didn't like that. He wanted to make sure this was for appropriate, I guess, for him, even though James Brown was a wild man, that, as yeah. we all know. It's, it's sort of hypocritical, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, very much so, actually, because, uh, yeah, James Brown... Whoa, crazy man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a very low-key make-out kind of vibe. It's very sexy, and uh, I love this just hip-hop groove. It's very, I don't know, it's very relaxing, and uh, I love the backing vocals on it, the deep male voices and the softer female voices. It really helps just create an ambiance for both the song and the album. and. Uh, I've always really enjoyed this song, and so did a lot of people. It was a number one hit for eight weeks, and that makes it both her longest-running number one hit and the longest-running number one hit by any member of the Jackson family. Really? Yeah. Which is shocking. This beat both Billie Jean and Black or White by one week at the top of the charts, which seems crazy, and I don't think this is as good as Billie Jean. I'm not gonna say that, but I've always really liked this song, and it's one that a lot of people remember well. This is actually her second most streamed song on Spotify, one of two by her that has over 100 million streams. Wow. she was also inside of this whirlwind of publicity too, so that I feel like that had to have aided it. I mean, that that Rolling Stone cover alone is reminiscent to of what you might have felt when the uh, the wardrobe malfunction happened. You know what I'm saying? Like it was news for a long, long time. If I'm correct, I think the Rolling Stones cover was actually covered up by like a slip. Um, well, it might and, have been. And, well, and, and I wasn't some, there. <laughs> some, I, I'm almost positive on that. But yeah, I, I would only imagine that helped keep it up there at the top for eight weeks. Oh, probably. And I think the video certainly helped her too. Janet is a visual artist, very well known for her videos. So I have to discuss the videos too. And this video, again, just kind of emphasized the chill vibe of the song. It has Janet just hanging out with her friends, dancing a little bit. Of course, she's wearing a crop top, so you can see her belly button, which was world famous during this era. <laughs> <laughs> and and her husband at the time was uh, directing the videos, correct? For the most part, yes. They had a very close professional relationship in addition to their marriage. And another really interesting thing about the video, one of the friends in it is played by a young actress named Jennifer Lopez. You might have heard of her. I thought that was her in the starting when she's sitting there. Yep, that's her. She puts on the full Latina accent, too. (laughs) Yeah. She looks like, actually, she looks like Selena a lot in that. (laughs) Several years before she did that movie, which was what really made her a star. Actually, I watched J-Lo's documentary on Netflix, and 
I think she said that she was offered to be a backup dancer for Janet Jackson on tour during this era, but she said no because she wanted to try acting. There you go. Which there you go. That ended up paying off for her, but I think she would have been a good backup dancer too. So uh, she would have been great on that one. Yeah, this would have been perfect for her. But anyway, that's the way love goes. A winner in my book. There you go. I like it a lot. Now we are moving on to the next full song on the album, which is You Want This. This is a more assertive Janet. She's saying that her man has to work to please her. Girls have been easy, but you have to please me. I love that line. Yeah, I love the line, like, if you want my future, I love that. You know, you got to work for it. If you if you want to be with me, you got to work on that. I think this could have been a much better opening track for this album. It's a super, super powerful track. Uh, it reminds me of the era. It's got a little bit of that, like, poison vibe in the background. And her voice really stands out on this track a lot. I won't say a lot, but there's some tracks on this album where her voice, in my opinion, which I think is a travesty, but in my opinion, steps behind the beats, these awesome dance beats that are they're produced for this album. Um, but this is not one of the cases in, in, in my book. No, I do like her vocal performance a lot on this. And Janet's often been criticized for having a light voice or a lightweight voice, but really... I think in her vocals, she's underrated in some ways. She's definitely not a powerhouse like some of the other top ladies of the era, but she has a great sense of rhythm when she sings, and uh, I don't think that gets noticed enough. So I just wanted to point that out, because she can carry a tune, and uh, she does have good senses when it comes to vocals, even if it's not the main part of her appeal, obviously, the performance in many cases, it takes over for her. And uh, this is another classic performance case for her. So, well, before I move on, let me say this song has two samples as well. Love Child by Diana Ross and the Supremes and Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang, which are both well used in my opinion. And super powerful, you know. Yeah. Uh, they automatically sing to the senses of, of the listener uh, and draw you right in, whether you realize they're there or not. Yes, but this was the sixth single in the U.S. It ended up being the last single in the U.S. too, and it was a top ten hit. It made it up to number eight, but for the single and video, MC Light did a guest verse, and the video for this one's a lot of fun. It was filmed in Palm Desert, California, and Janet and her gang of girls are basically teasing a group of guys the whole time. And uh, it was inspired by a film called Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Really? Yeah. I, I've i never seen that movie. I hadn't heard of it until I looked that up. But I think it's a fun video and it has some awesome choreography like most of Janet's videos. Uh, she definitely can dance. And this might be my favorite video from the album. It's just a good time, in my opinion. It, it is a good time. This track is a good time. I, I, I really enjoy this one. Oh, good. Did you not remember it being a hit, though? No, no. I I wasn't super familiar with this whole album. Like, you remember it, but it wasn't a part of my staple uh, back then. That's fair. Yeah, 90s were all over the place musically. Everybody had different things that they focused on genre-wise. And the genres were more separated, I guess. It wasn't as much of an umbrella then as it is today in some ways. Yeah, no, not at all. Today, I feel like you get a little bit of everything, uh, regardless of what you turn on or where you're at. And that probably has to do a bit with the streaming mentality of today's listeners. But you're right, the, the genres were uh, in their own groupings. Most certainly. And I think that's interesting in a yeah. way, and it shows just how everybody had their own thing they were going for back then. So now moving on, we're on to track number three, another hit from the album, the, what the label wanted to be the lead single, If. This has two samples in it. Someday we'll be together once again, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Though not really the Supremes, actually, but that's a story for another time. 
And uh, Honky Tonk Haven is the name of the song. I've never heard it. But that Someday We'll Be Together sample is completely turned on its head. And I love how they do that. I'm a pretty decent Motown fan. I like a lot of those old songs. I think Someday We'll Be Together is one of Miss Ross's best Motown recordings. It's a very beautiful song. But this isn't quite a beautiful song. This is an aggressive song. It actually has elements of industrial music and rock and uh, it really goes there i guess and uh, she's uh, very aggressive here in the vocals she's very aggressive in her lust for this man this song's all about lust this is a a very horny song (laughs) and uh, she gets sweeter on the pre-chorus and the chorus to kind of make it sound oh it's still nice i just really want to have wild sex with you but isn't this nice kind of Right, but that's that softer touch I was talking about. She's still she's still saying it, but it doesn't pack that much of a punch. No, it doesn't. But I mean, this one's a banger. I really always love this one, and it also, even though it's new sounds for Jana, it is a bit more reminiscent of what we got on like the Rhythm Nation album in its sound in some ways, and I think that's a good thing because that's a fantastic album, and she really. I don't know. I love her vocal choices on it. The production here is very impressive, uh, still to this day. It's one of my biggest notes on on this song is the production is phenomenal. It's it's a great track period, like you were saying. For me, I would like to see this somewhere else on the album because it has a little bit of the you want this vibe to it, where they have these similarities. And I feel like it could later down in what, I I feel is like a slower part of the album. It could have really benefited from having this later on. I don't think you're wrong. I'll say that as we'll get to the second half of the album. That's a <laughs> bit different than the first half, but I will say I haven't loved, I don't love this album overall as much as some of the other ones that I've picked, but I want to talk about the high points because I feel those are truly phenomenal and the good outweighs the not-so-great here by far. So that's why I picked this. And I just love its influence on everything. And this one was another big hit. This was number four on the Hot 100. Uh, There were two huge hits above it, both Dream Lover by Mariah Carey and Whoop There It Is by Tag Team. And yeah, yeah, this wasn't going to compete with either of those. Because Whoop There It Is is still inescapable at some place. (laughs) It's always inescapable. Yeah. I wasn't around for it, but it's never disappeared, that one. (laughs) Like a bad rash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But If is not a bad rash at all. Not at all. It's one that's aged well, and This is also one of Janet's most famous videos. It has a voyeurism theme in it and a lot of great choreography too. And also then new technology such as touchscreens and webcams, obviously they're quite commonplace now, but at the time, not so much. And uh, this video has been referenced a lot, most famously in Britney Spears' video for I'm a Slave for You. That definitely has some of the vibes of this. And Britney Spears herself said she was influenced by this video when doing that. I can, I love that thought. I You can see that. That's awesome. Thank you for that one. Yeah. And that's also an iconic song and video right there. I'm a slave for you. So, and uh, this is another case of Janet kickstarting a choreographer. Tina Landon became really in demand after her work on this video in particular. And uh, she didn't become quite as famous as the choreographer Janet worked with on the Control album, but she still made a name for herself in that world. So, you know, not everyone can be Paul Abdul, I guess. <laughs> no, but the choreography in this video was insane. Yeah, Janet was insane with her moves in her prime, and she could still move, but in her prime, there was no topping that. And that was something she had over everybody at this time, 
were her moves. So especially in a climate where you got Whitney, Mariah, Madonna, and you might not be the most profound singer, that aspect, that performance aspect of who she was and what her music was and what her shows were is huge in my opinion, because without being a super talented performer, I don't know if we'd necessarily see her critical acclaim throughout uh, her career. I don't think you're wrong about that. I do think her music is good. She's made some great songs and albums, but it's all been elevated by her visuals for sure. Definitely. And that's something we can continue to say to this day for artists. So there's that. Now, the next song on the album was not a single and it didn't have a video this time. This is a rockier song on the album, and it's a pretty standard breakup tune and another assertive vocal performance. This is actually kind of a precursor to a song on her next album, The Velvet Rope, called What About? This song's not as good as that one. That one hits a lot harder because it takes on domestic violence. This one's not that deep. What's also interesting about this song is that it has an opera section, And the vocal is performed by Kathleen Battle, who performed in the Metropolitan Opera in New York City during this time. And uh, it's a good use of opera. And this song is almost seven minutes long. I'm not sure it needs to be. I don't think there's enough lyrically to justify that length, even though I do like the opera. I think that it's very unique, not something a lot of people have done does elevate the song. I applaud the risk taken. This song still doesn't need to be seven minutes long, though. Yeah, no, you you took the words right out of my mouth on that one. I love the use of the opera. And just like you said, it's such a unique thing that not really anyone was doing. And the way she used it was great, except at that four minute and 42 second mark where it's almost two minutes of opera. Um, That sort of takes me as the listener, in my opinion, out of this song. Um, I think it, uh, you know, it could have been five, five and a half. You still would have got the power of the the opera, even if you wanted to give it a little segue there. But close to two minutes for me was a bit long on that. I don't disagree. It didn't need to be as long as it was. Still a cool song, just could have benefited from some editing. Yep. That's all. Definitely doesn't need to be longer than Bohemian Rhapsody, which it is. (laughs) That's pretty mind-blowing. It It actually is. Oh, shit. (laughs) There's that. And now, oh, I'm excited to talk about this one. We are on to Throb, and I have a story about this song. So when I checked this CD out, I saw on the track listing there was a song called Go On Miss Janet before it, which... I learned was an interlude, but I thought that sounds like a cool song. I'm going to skip right to that one. But it's a very short interlude. The next up I heard from at 10. I probably shouldn't have, but (laughs) (laughs) however, I'm glad I heard the song because it's an awesome song. This is a 90s house track. That's straight up what this is. This is the closest to the Madonna sound of the time. And uh, she doesn't even try to do sexual innuendo here. (laughs) It's pretty straightforward. I can feel your body pressed against my body. Okay, we know what you're talking about. There was no uh, sugarcoating it. I feel like this would also be a great workout song, though. It has that rhythm (laughs) to it, you know? Yeah, it remind right off the bat. It reminded me of early Baltimore Club. So I was like, I was immediately attracted to the song. Um, but I even have it in my notes. It took on a, a more Madonna-esque quality as it went through. Was Vogue a thing before this came out? The song? Yes. Vogue? Yeah, it, it really mimicked Vogue's stylings, uh, in my opinion. It, it is that sex song, though. It is her sex song. And uh, it, it's that it's that club sex anthem, if you if you will. You know, yes, like, it is. I mean, what did they say? Didn't the start DJ make me wet? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminded me of, of of some dirty old Baltimore club. Wow. I wasn't around for that era, but I guess that was maybe what they said there, because she does get down and dirty with this one. But it is a club banger, too. You can definitely dance to this one. And uh, this song was only officially released as a single in the Netherlands. 
airplay only in the U.S. Somehow it made it up to 66 on the airplay charts, which that says something about her power at this time, because this isn't really radio-friendly because of the lyrics, which aren't mm-hmm. necessarily appropriate, but... Yeah, but that beat is radio-friendly. Like oh, you yes, said, it's, it, it speaks volumes getting up to 66. That beat is super radio-friendly. Oh, yes, it is. And uh, interestingly, this is obviously a fan favorite, rightfully so, in my opinion. And uh, in 2018, Janet received the Billboard Music Award for Icon. She did a performance, and typically an artist who does this performance goes to perform their biggest hits because it's a career-spanning thing. But interestingly, Janet did this song in her performance right after she did Nasty even though it's not one of her biggest hits. But I thought it was interesting that she did this song and everybody was jamming to it because you can't not jam to that beat, of course. That's real. But it was interesting that she picked this over a bigger hit, I thought. But I think that says a lot that people really enjoy this song. So... Yeah, and maybe it says. Uh, I would. I would like to hope that it says that she loved that song. You know, I when you're so. picking songs for your Icon Award, I, I, I think. Uh, I hopefully she had a, a blast doing this one. I hope so too. She looked like it because she was up there, still kicking ass with the choreography, even at over fifty at that point. There you go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't know how she was doing that, but she did that. So. Good for you, Janet. Love to see it. And now we're on to the next song. Another big stylistic shift for us. This is maybe the biggest shift on the album, maybe, because this is a change. So the next track is What'll I Do? This is a cover of a song from 1967 by a singer named Johnny Day. Not a big name, but he was on Stax Records. And uh, I believe he collaborated with Otis Redding at some point in time. And uh, this one has live instruments, which is also a big change for the album, because before this, we have a lot of samples and electronic beats. It's a lot of computers before this. This is all live instrumentation and it's the one song on the album not produced by jam and lewis it's produced by jelly bean johnson who was the drummer of morris day in the time which jam and lewis started off in so that's awesome i didn't know that that's great yeah i really enjoy the classic soul feel of it like it has that muscle shoal sound like this is a beat i could have heard aretha franklin singing over in her heyday like in the late 60s it gives me that vibe i could see that i could see that as far as it on this album though i mean my first note is like are we on the same album Uh, (laughs) is this is this let me make sure the cd has not changed then the horns in here were a cool touch it, uh, this is the one. This is the gun to the head. What's your least favorite track? I think it's going to be this for me on this. Yeah. It, it just it switched up too quick for me into the uh, into the different sound. And it also it was musically pretty empty for me. You know, that riff just keeps on repeating and repeating. And I believe we only get two real courses or two like mini courses almost. So here's the funny thing about this being your least favorite on the album. <laughs> this is a fun fact because I know you'll love this. Uh, this was released as a double A side as a single and it was the final single internationally, not here. It was a top 20 hit in Australia, but as a result, This song got a remix from a Red Hot Chili Pepper at the time, Dave Navarro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's I know you love the Chili Peppers. I do. I do. I I had friends that just went and saw them this weekend. And 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 that's a it's a it's a Navarro take. Still, this one just doesn't stack up for me. That's fair. I just think it's funny that a guy from one of your favorite bands. Right, right, right. As you say, double A single, so it's just pressed on both sides. The same song? Basically, yeah, they were both singles together. And the other, the one it was paired with is a, a different single choice. It's all the way at the end of the album, but we're not there yet. So, Got you, got you. Before that, we have a non-single on here. I guess your track number seven. It's the right? seventh <laughs> actual song here. <laughs> Funky Big Band. 
This one, I feel like the title says what they're going for here. That's the sound that they're going for. She's inviting you to the Lennox Lounge. And uh, I feel like she's paying tribute to her musical forebearers. I mean, she even mentions Harlem in here. I like that she did that. I wouldn't call this a highlight of the album, but I think it's solid. No, I'm with you there. It's solid. It's very almost not cohesive as as far as the sum, I mean, the parts go. Um, But the sum actually comes out with a cool piece of music. I mean, it's a dance song with, with a catch loop all the way through. Yeah, it's not the highlight. That's a great way to say it, but it's not the uh, not the worst song. Yeah, I don't think it's quite a filler like we get to at a couple points in later in the album, but I do have an awkward story about this song. So my sophomore year of high school, I was a high school feeder kid, and I would stay after school to help out on shows if I wasn't cast in them at a point in time. And I was at that point still. And uh, one day I hooked up my iPod, well, phone at this point. I hooked that up because uh, I wanted to hear my music and not their damn show tunes because that was all they played. And I got sick of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this was one of the songs that came on. I thought, oh, not the best song on the album to play. I mean, at least it wasn't prob. That would have just been inappropriate. (laughs) But... I knew people were judging me, like, is this what you listen to? And I'm thinking, I'm sorry, but I like Janet more than your stinking show tunes. <laughs> I was a bit of an outcast in theater, if you couldn't tell. I really was not like them, because, well, they were listening to their show tunes, and I was listening to Janet. There you go. That's why you got to hit them with the funky big band. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, well, we're talking about Janet today, aren't we? I don't think any of them are listening, so I don't care. <laughs> now we're on to a more interesting song, I think, for track number eight, I guess you could say. New Agenda. This one explicitly takes on Janet being a Black woman, and she says it's time for a new agenda. She's sick of the discrimination and the racism, and things need to change. And it was smart of her to do this, because she really did a pretty effective job, I think, tackling social issues on her previous album, and it was well-received. I mean, Rhythm Nation's one of her best and biggest songs, but this one has a bit more weight, in part because this song features a verse from Chuck D of Public Enemy. Yeah, if if you're going to make a racism song, you, you want to talk about smart choices. The smart choice was what they did here. And that's, and he got co-writing on this too, but let Chuck D intro you on, you know, let him do his thing, his power of the people thing and, and let him introduce this song. I think it's much stronger than what we've seen in the past, almost well, two or three songs. Um, and this is the kind of, statement piece that i expect on a janet jackson album yes this is definitely the statement piece for this album and actually when i saw her in concert almost five years ago this was part of her encore actually even though it wasn't a single but it was the state of the world tour i think she was trying to focus on social justice songs to an extent so it made sense that she did this song i guess in that context it was just interesting because it wasn't a hit for her, but I thought it was cool that she did it. Of course, we don't really go to a Janet show for the vocals. You're there to see her move, which is what I remember from it. That's why you see Janet. Let's be real here. <laughs> yeah. was Did Chuck D come out for it? Oh, no. That would have okay. been amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, he did not. And uh, this one also has more of a return to the hip-hop sound. This song contains... Free samples, we have Stevie Wonder's Superwoman, the average white band's Schoolboy Crush, and Coolin' the Gang's Cool It, Here Comes the Fuzz. So, there's that. That's New Agenda for you. I enjoy this song a lot. I like it a lot as a statement piece for the album. Yeah, and early, I'm sorry, early 90s coming in, statement piece, and saying New Agenda, I think it was also really cool, and hopefully on purpose but a a smart decision to make it comprised of older songs you know that that 80s feel even though you're going forward with a new agenda yeah i'm sure it was intentional knowing how they were making this album because 
she really wanted to make a statement and show her independence here, and this song, I'm sure, was key in doing that for her on this album. Definitely more so than the next track on the album, which is Because of Love. This is a more lightweight pop tune. It's very retro style. This song's always given me Motown vibes, which I enjoy. I don't like it quite as much as the Motown samples used on the album, but this is a cute song, and I think that she does these songs really well. She had success with them before. I don't think this song is quite as good as When I Think of You or Escapade, but I like it okay. It's a fun tune. It was the fourth single from the album, and it made it up to number 10 on the Hot 100. This was actually her first single to miss the top five since 1987, but was still in the top 10, so... This one's not one of her most well-remembered hits. I can see why, because in her catalog, she has bigger and brighter hits, even just on this album. This is not on the level of the songs we were hearing earlier, like, If You Want This, Even That's The Way Love Goes. This isn't on that level. I think it's a fun, cute song. She does that kind of song well. She just has better examples of it. But I don't hate it at all. I still think it's a fine song, and the video for it also wasn't much. It was tour rehearsal and travel footage uh, with some close-ups filmed at the Boston Four Seasons, and that's because she was on tour for the album. That's what the artist does for a video when they're on tour at this point in time. That's just how they did it, and I guess it worked for that time, but that was probably smart for them to do it while she was on tour, because this didn't need a really crazy performance piece of a video. It didn't require it. No, you're right. With, with that cute sound, it's a very fun video, uh, fun take on, on the tour video. I really like hearing her sing on this track. And like you said, it's not on the level per se of uh, you want this if you know, that's the way love goes, even though it, it does share a very similar beat. But this song, in my opinion, still achieves sounding unique and different on this album rather than a return to the start of the album. So I, I enjoyed this track. Yeah, I will say, speaking of that cutesy retro feel, I feel like her voice, she kind of has like a Diana Ross tone to her voice here, which I think works for this kind of song with that feel because that's another singer who excelled at that in the 60s. Janet was just bringing it back for the 90s. and. It's another unique sound for this album, which all kinds of styles going on here. And we're off to another one with the next track on here again. This <laughs> song wasn't written for the album. It was written for a movie that Janet starred in called Poetic Justice. The producers wanted a ballad for the soundtrack, and naturally it was going to make sense if the singer who was acting in the movie did the ballad. That made perfect sense. And so Janet Lewis took this beautiful piano line that they had, but didn't know what to do with. And uh, Janet wrote the lyrics for this song in character as Poetic Justice uh, to describe her feelings. And uh, that piano line is gorgeous. It is. It's beautiful. This is a really pretty song. And if I want to listen to a really pretty song, this one fits the bill nicely. It interestingly wasn't included on the soundtrack for Poetic Justice, but... Really? Yeah, but it was on this album, and it was the third single from the album, and a big contrast to the other ballads of this time, because a lot of the popular ballads of this era were done by, like, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Celine Dion. This is not that. She definitely doesn't oversing the song, but I think that's a nice change from the other ballads of the time. Interestingly, this song replaced Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love at the top of the charts, and it was replaced by Mariah Carey's Hero. Those are two over-the-top ballads. Yeah. Those were, I mean, Meatloaf very intentionally, so that song's over-the-top. That's why it's awesome. But... <laughs> This is definitely a change from both of those. This is not like the popular ballads of the time, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad thing either. If, you, if you're going to compare them, uh, you know, I even had it in my notes, she really never belts out any parts of this song. Um, she doesn't necessarily have a command performance here. 
Um, and, and there's a few little tiny places where it almost sounds, uh, in my opinion, a, a, a tad Disney princess-ish. But it's a beautiful ballad. That, like you said, that piano piece is dirty. Yeah, that's really what this song's about. And interestingly, when I saw her, this was not a song that she sang. It was an instrumental video interlude. They played the instrumental for the song. Huh. And funnily enough, the crowd just sang the whole song. They knew every word. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome, actually, to hear everybody sing the whole song. That was cool. Yeah, that that's super unique. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the video actually has nothing to do with poetic justice. It's just soft focus Janet, but I'm guessing it's still got played on MTV. It's not one of her highlight videos. Obviously, there's no crazy choreography here because this is a movie ballad. And it was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song. It lost to Bruce Springsteen Streets of Philadelphia. So. You t- man, she went up against some some tough competition throughout this part of her career. She really did, but I guess she stood her own because she had a lot of success with it. So, yeah. And this song actually got a sample on a song when I was in middle school. There was a singer named Ayaz. You might know his hit, Replay. Got my iPod stuck on Replay, Replay. And uh, his follow-up single was called Solo, and it wasn't a huge hit, but it did have a sample of Again, which I thought was pretty cool. That is cool. So that was this song making a comeback, but it's not the most famous sample on this album. We're not there yet for a song from this album being sampled. We'll get there, but not there quite yet. Not just yet. So next up we have Where Are You Now? This is a more mid-tempo tune. She misses her man. That's really what the song is. This one's always been a filler for me. This one is, it's just a filler. It's pretty generic 90s R&B and that's not a horrible thing but other songs on this album are not generic R&B this is not a generic artist she's above this and this is just not one of the better songs on this album at all for me this one it's always been filler I was kind of surprised she actually did this live when I saw her in a medley with the following song on this album and come back to me from Rhythm Nation she should have just done Come Back to Me. That was an actual hit, not this boring album track, because this one's never really cut it for me. This is uh, not one of my favorites. Yeah, and it's it's a song that's produced really well. I really enjoy the fact of the over overdubbing where she's almost singing a duet with herself. But this track, for me, is one of the ones I was talking about earlier where the the musicality of the track almost takes a front seat to her singing and that's not what i'm i'm listening to a janet jackson album for you know um so yeah i could i could definitely feel you on, on the filler here cool song for filler it's good it's just yeah. for me it's filler but it's not bad filler i've had much worse filler that i've heard so next up we have the body that loves you this is another filler track for me. This is a generic R&B slow jam. This one's never done it for me either. I would say this is my least favorite on the album. This is redundant. There's a much better example of this kind of song coming up. There was a better example of it at the beginning of the album. This is just redundant. I don't get it. It's redundant and it's odd. It's got this like odd bossa nova type beat behind it. And it just, it doesn't make sense. I'm with you. It's it's just an odd song in my opinion. Yeah. Not a favorite of mine. I feel like they could have found something better recorded during these sessions to replace this with. Especially this late in the album and two songs after you have like a very slow ballad. I just, I don't understand the the placement or, or the pick here for this album. Neither do I. I feel like they could have just done something completely different. There were several songs that were released as B-sides during this era. I feel like any of those probably would have been a better fit than The Body That Loves You. This is just a a very filler track for me. I hate to say it, but 
yeah, gun to my head, this is my least favorite here. This has never done it for me. I've known this album for most of my life, and I still can't get behind The Body That Loves You. I don't love it, so... <laughs> this body doesn't love that song. <laughs> Fortunately, that doesn't last. We're on to a good example of a slow jam. Anytime, any place. It was actually hearing this song again recently that inspired me to pick this album. So for those of you who don't know, I work at a restaurant and it's a pretty conservative restaurant, I would say. And uh, when you're in the dining room, you have to listen to country music all day and it gets old because it's the same songs over and over again. And I'm sick of it. And one day my manager switched it to an easy listening station, which had some kind of 101.9, that's a light FM station here in Baltimore, some of those kind of hits, but also quite a bit of 90s R&B, which I enjoyed, and this was one of the songs on there, and uh, my coworker said, Janet Jackson's on, I'm like, wait, what? And I heard that it was anytime, anyplace, I'm like, is this real right now? How is this playing at my job? But I was so happy it was playing at my job, but this is... uh, a freaky song. This is about getting down in public. There's no other way to say it. <laughs> she does not care. She knows people are watching. She doesn't give a damn what they say. She's anytime, any place. doesn't care who's around. She's uh, letting her freak flag fly with this song. There was uh, no shame here at all. And I love that she did that. And in addition, it's a really well-produced R&B slow jam, I think. It definitely is. And for an album where she was in the press talking about coming into her sexuality or more so coming into being okay with sharing her sexuality with the media and with the world, she didn't hold anything back here. (laughs) She she let them know. And uh, the people actually responded really well to this. In a way, I'm surprised this was a single because it's so frank. But it also wasn't a song you were going to deny. This was the fifth single from the album, and it was a hit in the summer of 1994. It made it up to number two on the Hot 100. It was blocked by All For One's I Swear. Take me back there. Take me back. (laughs) The video for this one isn't very choreography heavy at all. It has her with another man, and she's just, In that soft focus lighting, they loved that during this era, and they're just having some fun canoodling. That's the best word I can use to describe (laughs) it, is canoodling. But interestingly, the hit version of this song that was often played was not the album version. This song does break the seven-minute mark. Yeah. So it had to be edited, but... There was a completely different remix used that was often played on the radio. Unfortunately, it was done by a bad guy. So, there's that. How long did the radio edit end up being? It was still around five minutes, almost. Okay. But, I mean, it was still a hit, and this song also was famous in its performance on the Janet World Tour, because this was the song where she bought a male audience member up and danced for him. And uh, this became a feature of Janet's shows throughout the years. She did it for a long time, and Britney Spears has also done it many times during her live shows. I don't think Britney did it as well as Janet, but admittedly, Britney was being forced to perform because uh, that was being done during the conservatorship, and... uh, She didn't really want to be doing this in Vegas, but she was. So no wonder it wasn't as good because, well, she didn't want to be there. Janet actually wanted to do it at this point in time. She doesn't these days, which I understand why she wouldn't now. But at the time, it was really iconic. And uh, this song got a big comeback in 2013. It was sampled on a Kendrick Lamar song called Poetic Justice that he did with Drake. and. That song became a top 40 hit. It made it up to 26 on the Hot 100. And Kendrick Lamar's done a lot since then. I don't think today it's one of his most well-remembered songs. But it was pretty impressive that he bought this song back 
for a younger generation in a way. I think it's awesome that he did that. Yeah, especially on a track named Poetic Justice. Uh, yeah. You, know, you put some Janet on there. That's cool. A cool layer there. Yeah. I mean, it would have made more sense, I guess, to sample again for Poetic Justice, but Third. this was probably a better song to sample. Again, it had already been sampled, so this was something different, I guess. And uh, for the most part, it ends the album. We have a couple interludes after it, but then... There's a hidden track. This is a staple of the 90s, I feel like. The hidden track on the CD. And it's usually really unrelated to the album. And this one definitely is. Oof, you talking about same album question mark again? Like, what is this? Is this even Janet Jackson? Yeah, I wonder if it is. The hidden track on the album is called Whoops Now. Which already by the title, what is that title? Like, what? Yeah. I'm already confused. This is another cute song. This is extremely lightweight. This makes Because of Love sound like a heavy statement piece. This is. <laughs> You're right. It's, it's so like light and like, I don't know, maybe it's just my opinion, but like out of character for her. This is like looped happy pop with like some summertime montage going on behind it this is this is it's it's a very uh in my opinion it's like a very uh young track like young pop track definitely yeah. doesn't sound like her <laughs> no this is something i feel like she would have done on one of her really early albums when she was actually a teenager not as the janet we're seeing here that's for sure yeah um and, yeah, this song is about a girl's trip that Janet can't go to because of work. But next time she's doing it, whoops now, sorry, I can't go. So, basically, this is a FOMO song before that term was coined. <laughs> That's what this is. And the song just kind of goes on, and her friends even have names, which I think is funny. And there's a coda where Janet goes to Anguilla for some tiddlywinks. <laughs> and the Wikipedia page for this song said that in the edit for it, the risque coda was admitted. I'm like, that is not risque. That Tidd does not qualify. Tiddlywinks. <laughs> the cover for this album is a cropped photo of a half-naked woman. How is Tiddlywinks a risque coda? Get out of here. <laughs> And because of all of that, I know why this is a hidden track, because this doesn't fit at all with anything that we've been listening to for the past hour plus. But I'm going to say this. I'm glad this song exists. I think it's kind of hilarious. As as were, like you said, uh, a lot of the hidden tracks in the 90s. Uh, you know, you were, you were waiting for them. It didn't matter what album, whether it was Green Day or Janet Jackson, there was always something to find and usually you're right it was it was pretty hilarious most of the time the only really intense one i can actually think of is um alanis morissette's your house her hidden track on jagged little pill that one's intense Heard. and beautiful that's an awesome song in its own right jagged little pills still not complete without it but yeah she went a very different route than janet did here that's for sure but Actually, this was a single internationally. It was a single release with What'll I Do, and it was a hit throughout Europe. It actually reached number one in New Zealand. And there's a video with Janet and her friends hanging out in Anguilla. That's <laughs> <It's> so awesome. <laughs> and uh, I guess certain parts of the world just really wanted a fun, carefree summer song at this point in time. Yep. <laughs> They got it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they got that and more. This is the ultimate one. But, yeah, I'm glad it exists, though, because I think it's hilarious. Sometimes when I'm in just want to hear a goofy song, I listen to Whoops now. That's a go-to goofy song for me, for sure. That makes sense. So, yeah, there we have Janet Period, her statement piece of liberation from the world. What grade do you give this album? 
I am at a C on this album. Um, not musically, but as far as it holding up and being the statement piece that I remember it to be, a, a little bit of this review has to do with some of the uh, the nostalgia on it. And I always thought it was more of a heavy, heavy album. Um, I think that as far as some of the tracks, the album itself could have been edited uh, a little bit. And I think there are some songs on here that could have been B-sides or, or didn't need to be here at all. Not a terrible album at any mark, but for me, it's going to be a C. That's your lowest score you've given yet here. Oh, no, it is. Oh, yep. Janet, Janet, I'm sorry, Janet. I'm just being honest, girl. No, and... <laughs> This isn't her heaviest album, actually. The Velvet Rope is a lot heavier than this one. That's intense. And probably an overall better album. I'm going to go A- minus on this one. I do think there are a couple big filler tracks on here that I could do without, but I think that for her time, she made an incredible statement piece, and the best songs on this album, I think, really hold up, and I've always really enjoyed the high points of this album, and uh, there were a lot of them for me, and that's why I picked it, because the high points of this album are some of the best songs of the 90s for me, but that's just me as a listener. Not everybody would agree with that, but I enjoy this album, and I love the ambition of it, too. She really did some new things here, and uh, in some ways, uh, this is more adventurous. I feel like... uh, I don't know if she quite, other than the Velvet Rope, I feel like she's continued to go back to this album and do the themes from it over and over again, and not with the same amount of success as she did here. The Velvet Rope hits differently because it's such a personal album, but in the future, I mean, the Janet sex songs, they're all just going back to this album, and they can't beat this album, so... It's an important album in that regard, and uh, in some ways she hasn't gotten to this height again. So that's why I think it's a good album to discuss. Even with my mark, you know, as always, thank you for this one. It's one that I necessarily wouldn't have listened to if we weren't doing this again, and uh, I, I really appreciate that. Glad to hear it. And I'm guessing this isn't like a CD you had back in the day either. Nope, I never had this one on CD. <laughs> this wasn't this wasn't in the CD book. I um, had a feeling. But, I mean, you couldn't, uh, like I said before, you couldn't get around knowing what this album was at the very least or knowing that it was there at the very least because of the whirlwind of media that it had at the time. Yep, that it's dead. What is your favorite song on the album? I gotta go Throb. Um, that Baltimore club spoke to me, that, that style spoke to me. It's not one that I knew and, uh, it it made me jam. It made me jam. We have the same favorite song on the album. Mine is Throb. Yes. (laughs) Oh, always loved Throb. It's down and dirty and funky and, uh, oh, yes. Can't get enough of it. Those Baltimore roots, you don't even know it, but the Baltimore club lives inside of you. <laughs> I guess it does. I'll take it. And now I'm prepared to be surprised. You have to tell our listeners what your 90s pick is. My 90s it. pick, we're gonna go with the, in, in, in my opinion, one of the most iconic 90s albums. Um, and that is Nirvana's Nevermind. We're going we're gonna to take a walk with Kurt and the boys and see what's going down um, in, in an earlier one from them, but something that still rings true. And, uh, and for me, and, and a, a lot of people meant a lot. Yeah, I actually was not expecting you to say that. I am surprised a bit. I know you I, like some grunge. I was expecting you to go a different direction, though. But I wasn't a Kurt Cobain head. Um, as far as like a diehard, but I think that this album one is a great album to listen to and pick apart like we do. And two, um, I hope people that haven't heard it are going to listen to this one. You know, you, you, I, nineties was tough for me, you know, and, and hopefully we'll stick a few of, uh, my honorable mentions in, uh, 
you know, if we do a, a crowdsourced or whatever, but I mean, there's so much. You got pumpkins, you got Fuji's, you got Nas, you got Wu Tang. I mean, this is my teenage years, you know. So this is this is a huge, huge time for music period in my life. So it's tough. It's tough going through this. Yeah, I do feel that we'll return to the '90s at some point, or just have them scattered throughout because. There is a lot to discuss, but I'm going to say it now. This is an album I have not heard all the way through. I obviously know the big singles off of it because everybody knows those, whether you realize it or not. But this will be an interesting one. I know it's maybe shocking to some. I haven't heard the whole thing through considering how well-known this album is, but... It'll be a bit of a first-time thing for me, and I'm always excited to do something new. So that's awesome. That's what I was going for there. So I'm it's gonna be a cool one. Alrighty. Well, in the meantime, follow on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and T Podcasts and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. Leave us a nice review too. We would really appreciate that. That helps us move up in the algorithms. So more people can discover us. That's what we want here. So until then, try not to never mind because we will be doing never mind, but you're going to want to listen to it. It'll be one we can't miss. There you go. In the meantime, go anytime, any place if you want, and we'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>